It's Monday of the third week of Lent. Welcome to today's Lentcast. This is Father John Zulsdorf. Today's Roman station is San Marco. San Marco stands near the Piazza Venezia, which means it's close to the Capitoline Hill, the heart of pagan Rome's religious cult, where the Temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus was. The mark in question, with San Marco, is probably Mark the Evangelist, who may have been in Rome helping St. Peter. In 336, Pope Mark, during the time of Constantine, is said to have established a place of Christian worship in a house here. In the same year, Pope Mark died of natural causes, rather than as a martyr. There were basilicas here in the 4th and 6th centuries, and then in the 9th, which is the basilica which survives today, with a lot of renovations. In the mosaic, you see Pope Mark and Agnes, the virgin martyr so dear to the Romans, along with Pope Agapetus and Felicissimus. And there's Pope Gregory IV as well, who was still alive when the mosaic was made, so he has that great little square halo. Beneath, courtly sheep elegantly process from each side toward the lamb who was slain. Because of the association with St. Mark, this church also has a long association with Venice, where, in the Cathedral of San Marco, the body of the evangelist now rests. San Marco is the national church of Venetians in Rome. The loggia, built in front of the basilica by Pope Paul II in the 15th century, harks back to the loggia that was on the first basilica of St. Peter, the one built by Constantine, later torn down, to make room for the present little chapel up on the hill. You will see on entering two medieval lions flanking the entrance, and within, a marble basin with a great inscription that opposes an anathema on anyone who might try to sell the water from the fountain. And the wooden coffered ceiling inside the church is the oldest in Rome. Meditation by St. Thomas Aquinas The passion of Christ is the cause of the forgiveness of sins because it is an act of redemption. Since Christ is himself our head, he has, by his own passion, undertaken from love and obedience, delivered us his members from our sins, as it were at the price of his passion. Just as a man might, by some act of goodness done with his hands, buy himself off for a wrong thing he had done with his feet. For as man's natural body is a unity made up of different limbs, so the whole church, which is the mystical body of Christ, is reckoned as a single person with its own head, and this head is Christ. The passion of Christ was a thing equal to its task. For the human nature through which Christ suffered his passion is the instrument of his divine nature. Whence all the actions and all the sufferings of that human nature wrought to drive out sin are wrought by a power that is divine. Christ, in his passion, delivered us from our sins in a casual way, that is to say, he set up for us a thing which would be the cause of our emancipation, a thing whereby any sin might be at any time remitted, whether committed now, or in times gone by, or in time to come, much as a physician might make a medicine from which all who are sick may be healed, even those sick in years yet to come. 
But since what gives the passion of Christ its excellence is the fact that it is the universal cause of forgiveness of sins, it is necessary that we, each of us ourselves, make use of it for the forgiveness of our own particular sins. By faith also we make use of the passion of Christ in order to receive its fruits. As St. Paul says, Christ Jesus, whom God hath proposed to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. But faith by which we are cleansed from sin is not that faith which can exist side by side with sin, the faith called formless, but faith formed, that is to say, faith made alive by charity. So that the passion of Christ is not through faith applied merely to our understanding, but also to our will 